In this final week of Advent, as in all the years of the church, we shift our readings from focusing on John the Baptist and conversion to Mary. We usually have a reading on the Annunciation or a reading here on the Visitation. And part of this shift reminds us of what should be happening in our hearts at this time. So today I'm just going to go through a brief explanation of some of the things in the gospel and then our next place for our hearts to be. So first it's rooting out sin and conversion and the next our hearts should be ready to do the will of the Lord. So that's the key today. Our hearts should be ready to do the will of the Lord. So first we have this beautiful prophecy from Elizabeth that says, how has it come to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, mother of my Lord, that term Lord, we've heard as sir or master, whatever it may be. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a divine title. Although here, in the context of Luke's gospel, especially chapter one, it's used six other times, this term Lord, and it's always used for God. Lord signifies Yahweh, that tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H. This is not just like, sir, how is it the mother of my king or um, mother of my master should come to me? It is definitely a divine title because it's used seven times in this chapter of Luke. And every single time, including this one, that term Lord refers to God. So here we have a definitive, explicit reason for why we call Mary mother of God. Saint Elizabeth, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to prophesy and says that Jesus Christ and Mary particularly is the mother of her Lord and God, which is Jesus Christ. This is a profound statement. Secondly, we see that John the Baptist leaps in the womb of Elizabeth and many scripture scholars and fathers of the church point to this moment as the moment when St. John the Baptist was washed clean of sin. Now, do we have to believe that St. John the Baptist was washed clean of sin at this moment when he leaped in the womb of Elizabeth? The answer is no, but it is tradition. And one way we signify this in our liturgy is we only celebrate feasts of saints at moments of sinlessness. So we celebrate most saints on the day of their death. That's the moment when we know they were taken up into heaven, that their souls were so pure that they did not need further purification. We know definitively that they're in heaven. However, we celebrate the birth of three persons, Mary, Jesus, and John the Baptist. And we only celebrate the conception of two persons, Jesus and Mary. So based on the liturgy, we can see that Mary and Jesus were completely conceived without sin, which of course we know one's God and the other has the immaculate conception, but not John the Baptist. And yet we still celebrate his birth, which signifies a moment of sinlessness. So even in the church's liturgy, it would be fitting and make total sense if this moment when Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, that St. John the Baptist leaps in her womb, he's actually washed of original sin. So he's born sinless, which is why we celebrate it in the church. 
And then finally, this last line, it can escape us in our gospel today if we don't know the context of what's just happened. We hear Elizabeth say to Mary, Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. And this is an interesting line. Why is Elizabeth saying this? It's not just great that Mary believed the message of the Lord. It's more than that. It's also that someone, unlike Mary, did not believe the message of the Lord. What happened when Zechariah was in the temple and he is offering sacrifice? And the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said that Elizabeth would conceive in her old age? He disbelieved and he was struck mute until the time of the fulfillment of John the Baptist being born. So it's almost like a dig at her husband, not really. It's not okay to do that. Don't dig at your husbands. But it's, it's true. It's Zechariah questioned the ability of God to do something in his wife Elizabeth. But Mary, a virgin, did not question that God would be able to conceive through a virgin and that she would be able to bear a son in her virginity. That's how great Mary's faith is. So now that we've done a brief explanation of the gospel, now let's focus on the next step. What do we do in response to faith? Where should our hearts be in the midst of this season of Advent in our fourth week? And our hearts should really follow Mary. The moment that Mary received the grace of the Annunciation, Christ being conceived in her heart, what does she do? She immediately goes to Elizabeth. She does an act of mercy. She wants to be with Elizabeth, her cousin, in joy. There's so many great things about what Mary does. And you would think, okay, I, I have God in my womb. I better be careful. I'm going to stay close to home. I don't want anything bad to happen to me. No, she goes out and obeys the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Her heart is so ready. It's so filled with the Holy Spirit that she's ready to serve her cousin, Elizabeth, share in her joy. And so where our hearts should be this time in Advent is ready to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Israel waited for 2,000 years for Messiah. Mary waited her early years waiting for this revelation of God. But the moment that we receive the Holy Spirit, we're called to action. I love the words of our gospel that Mary set out in haste. The moment we've received the Holy Spirit and we know something is a prompting from him, we do it immediately. It's just uh, the, the best thing to do. The moment we're inclined to do something by the Lord God, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we set out to do it immediately. And this runs contrary to a lot of our normal conventional wisdom. As Americans, we're highly influenced by someone named Kant. He was a philosopher, and he really thought that the best way to do something good was if it was really hard and we did it anyways. It was something out of duty. So for Kant, which heavily has influenced American culture, it's the one who goes to work every day even when it's very difficult and he doesn't feel like it or she doesn't feel like it, and yet they do it anyways because 
That's how driven they are. That's how duty-driven they are. They're so great, and they do great work because they can get through anything, even when it's obnoxious to them. But that's not truly what we consider greatness in Christian life. In Christian life, we don't go with Kant and his idea of duty, enforcing something almost against our will entirely. For us, we turn to virtue. Virtue is way better than duty because we actually do the things, the good things, that we want to do. When we build up virtue, we're so amenable, we're so easily moved by the promptings of God that we do the right thing and we love doing the right thing. And it seems like, okay, is that really better? Because isn't it better to do the right thing when you overcome something very, very difficult? I don't know. Maybe ask the New England Patriots. (laughs) Is it better for Jonathan Taylor to, to think like, man, where's this place in the pocket? I mean, where do I get through which block and how do I get in there? Or is it someone who's so naturally inclined to read the defense and to make the right cut and to have the right patience that there could be two free rushers and not be able to tackle him and break away for a 67-yard touchdown. Now, what do you think? I'm sure the Patriots are very sad about that. But what's easier? Is it virtue and being amenable to the Holy Spirit or Is it something we have to think about and it's really, really difficult and by that time we're already brought to the ground? Right? Christian virtue is the best. The saints make the comparison. You could be in a ship using your oars trying to get across a body of water or what life is like with the Spirit being so easily moved by the Spirit. It's like having a sail. Why do all the work yourself when you simply raise the sail and you can be blown aloft by the wind of the Holy Spirit? That's what it means to be driven by the Holy Spirit, to go out with haste, to be filled by him. We've repented of our sins. We've turned away from those things of our old life. But now when we receive the Holy Spirit, we act immediately like Mary. It's the same spirit that led Jesus Christ to be driven out into the desert to be tempted and to do all of the ministry that he did. He was led so much by the spirit, especially in the gospel of Luke and Mark. We see that time and time again. It's the same spirit that led the way for St. Paul to evangelize the Gentiles. One of my favorite patrons, St. Joan of Arc, it's the same spirit that led her to be the first woman or man to lead an entire army of a nation at the age of 17. And she did it fearlessly because she had the grace of the Holy Spirit and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And we need to use these promptings when we recognize them. We need to do them immediately because when the Holy Spirit sees that we are a pliable instrument in his hands, he'll give us more promptings. He'll give us more work. He'll give us more virtuous deeds that we would delight in. But when the Holy Spirit finds us instruments that are not obedient to his promptings and very slow to action, he will find more suitable instruments to work through. That's why it's so important to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with our hearts respond like Mary to instantly move 
to whatever that prompting of the Holy Spirit may ask us to do. It may seem like a tall order to lead the entire French army at the age of 17 or to evangelize all of the Gentiles like St. Paul or even to defeat the New England Patriots like Jonathan Taylor. But sometimes it's a simple act. Think about it. Mary's the greatest saint. And what was the prompting of the Holy Spirit in the moment of the Annunciation? What was the next thing that she did? It was to visit a relative. That's the act that saints are made of. It doesn't matter how great the act is or how small. What matters is that we're obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That actually gives us joy and delight. It made Mary happy to be with her relative Elizabeth, to serve her and to share in her joy. And it wasn't an insane, difficult task. It was a simple task, very ordinary. But it's tasks like that of which saints are made. So we ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. We ask that we may be more obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our life, that having known what is the will of God, that we do it immediately So we demonstrate that we're good instruments in God's hands so that we can further delight in more of his promptings given to us by the Holy Spirit, just as Mary did.